We begin by acknowledging that the land on which we record this podcast is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabeg peoples. This territory is covered by the Upper Canada Treaties. We acknowledge the enduring presence of First Nation, Métis, and Inuit people on this land, and that not all settlers were brought here by choice. We believe it is important to move forward in the spirit of reconciliation, compassion, and respect. I'm Kimberly McKenzie. And I'm Paul Nazareth. Welcome to The Intersection. Paul and I recently sat down with Clay Buck to talk about data, mid-level donors, governance, and even community-centered fundraising. While we talked about all sorts of things, this is not that episode. Our time with Clay was so rich we didn't want it to stop. This is the extra content. So as we start to see each other again at conferences and can't wait to hug our old friends, let's remember that sometimes people at conferences feel othered. They feel insecure and unsure where they belong. Let's all be intentional about being more inclusive and welcoming new people into our networks. Because folks, the big secret is that none of us feel like the cool kids. As Paul says, we're all just a bunch of dorks. So sit back and have a listen. You may even forget you're listening to a podcast because Clay forgot he was recording one. I'm just wondering if you guys have time. I don't know if it'll be interesting, but I feel like I know for myself and I suspect for both of you, there have been times when, you know, I, I will be at a conference or be on Twitter or something. And I feel like all the, all the really popular people are doing something more fun than whatever it is that I'm doing now. Is that just me? <laughs> no. Right. No. And, and so because I know a lot of other people who I never, when I, when I voice that and I say, yeah, I'm just not part of the, the cool kids crowd. Um, they go, no, I'm not either, but isn't it? So I'm just curious about your thoughts on that because I know there was a little bit of bouncing around on Twitter, talking about Twitter cliques and cliquey conversations, that kind of thing. It burns me to my soul. Yeah. If I am a part of any community that appears cliquish or, um, exclusionary, um, that, that hurts me because I don't feel like I'm part of quote unquote, the in crowd. I'm not in part of the cool kid crowd. I don't, I don't let my dog up. Hang on. Yeah. Especially on a platform like Twitter, that's a public platform and quite literally just barge in, you know, yeah, that was the whole purpose. It, 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 it also hurts me so much too, because a lot of us started out feeling the opposite. You know, like again, I started a lot of my networking events because at the largest conferences, on the first couple nights, all the parties were private. Mm. And uh, you know, I started in my twenties, and that really, really hurt. And so I said, "Cool, I'm just going to start a dinner right next door, and whoever comes comes." Mm -hmm. And that is exactly the def definition of Twitter. Again, I would say that LinkedIn is the networking event connected to the conference, but Twitter is the drinks afterwards. There you go. Where we all break out and hit the town. And that should be open and inclusive. And it pains me that people would feel in some way that they're not. I don't even know how one creates the walls. How are the walls created on Twitter? I think they're mental. Um, I think there are people that know each other well, mm -hmm. who also interact offline. 
mm-hmm. who then you get some inside jokes and, and maybe some inside a, stories a sense of intimacy probably correct i mean there's i can think of a handful of people on twitter that that i also know personally and see you know here in town and mm-hmm. and all of that and our twitter exchanges are you know little inside jokes or little things that make no sense to anybody and i can see how looking from the outside in it would appear right as if you're being clickish or standoffish i mean and i get that i get that i i can't i can't answer the whole like why it is i do know this and i'm asking i'm telling you and i'm asking you to hold me accountable to it uh and this also came from a, a conversation that i had with cherry and koshi about a year year and a half ago asking myself every day what am i being what am i doing to be inclusive so things like if somebody likes or replies to one of my tweets who I don't know, mm-hmm. I have a personal policy of always replying in some way. I, I don't know you. I've never had a personal interaction with you. Your name isn't recognizable to me. You have you know, a couple hundred followers. People engaged with me when I first joined Twitter, people who I thought were you know way high up in the echelons and were part of that and engaged with me. And I do work hard to pay it forward so hold me accountable if you don't see me doing that as publicly the same thing is true in person and in conferences and as we begin to um as we begin to re-enter that world let us especially those of us that are on the conference circuit those of us that are connected um, to others let us all do things like find the table at lunch with nobody we know and sit there Mm-hmm. And it, I hate to say this because it sounds really egotistical and I do not mean it this way, but I have invested a lot of intentional time in doing podcasts, publishing, speaking, et cetera. I, I, I know that there are people who recognize my name or recognize me. You know, Paul, I've seen you now for years. Like I've known of you for several years, right? And then you and I began interacting on Twitter and that kind of We've had a couple of private messages and that kind of broke down like some walls and I felt a little more comfortable coming to you. But those of us that are kind of recognizable, let us be intentional about sitting with people at the conference that we don't know, sitting at tables at lunch, um, you know, meeting people in conference rooms and sitting with them that we don't know. Let us all be intentional about not grouping in our cliques as much as we love each other and want to see each other and draw strength from our friendships, but be intentional about reaching out and bringing other people in and meeting those other people. And I'm really trying to say this without sounding. No, but you know? it's so, I, I do that. But, and, and I love conferences. I love, love, love conferences. And I call it my conference demons. It's the place where I feel the most insecure on the planet. I, and people, people probably don't, and I'm only confessing this because because I think there are a lot of other people who also feel very insecure and lonely when they're in a room with 1500 other fundraisers and everybody else seems to be closer or more connected. You know, there, this is something that I carry, (laughs) I carry with me this. It's kind of like when I was in grade 12 and all the, and maybe I'm sounding a little bit pathetic now. I don't know if we're going to share this, but, but you know what? I had a boyfriend in high school who was not a very good boyfriend, Brent, Tom, I'm talking to you. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, she named it. Named names, y'all. He was horrible for me. Um, and we broke up before my graduation. 
And I had a whole bunch of male friends. And several years after graduating, I went back to my hometown at Christmas. And I said, I don't know why none of you, why did I end up going to the prom alone when all of you guys claim to be my best friends? And they just thought, oh my gosh, we thought we never even, it never even occurred to us to ask you to go to the prom because we thought you had a date. Like our perception of who you were was, so so I think that there's a lot of that too in this space because the convert the reason we started this podcast and why I launched the intersection is because my private conversations were more real this year. The conversations that we've been having have been mm. deeper, more meaningful. The connections have been more intentional. The network has grown. And to your point, Clay, I do think it's beautiful that you say, hey, let's just hold each other accountable to widen our circle broaden our network. And it, you know, it, there's that saying of inclusivity is inviting people to the party, but belonging is asking them to dance. Right, right, right. Can, can I tell a, a little story to that, sure. that regard? So 2016, um, I was in a pretty tough place and trying to figure out what my future meant and what kind of work did I want to do and all of that. And I, had applied to and never thought in the wildest dreams that I would get accepted, but I applied to speak at ICON, AFP ICON. Um, oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm telling it wrong. I'm telling it wrong. Um, I was at IFP ICON for the first time, uh, for the first time in a long, and had returned to ICON. It had been years since I'd been, whatever. Anyway, I was walking through the exhibit hall and I saw Mark Pittman at an exhibit table um, talking about nonprofit storytelling conference. And I mean, this was Mark Pittman, the author of Ask Without Fear, you know. And I just, I hiked him up and I went over and I introduced himself and told him how much his book meant to be and blah, blah, blah. And he said, and he pitched nonprofit storytelling to me. And then the next day, I just happened to be walking through again and walked past his table. And I did that. Oh, he's not going to recognize me or remember me from yesterday and just kind of smiled. And he goes, Clay gives me a big hug and says, have you thought more about the storytelling conference? I'd really like to see you there. And it felt like a personal invitation and I moved heaven and earth to get there. So I went to a nonprofit storytelling conference that fall. And the first day of that conference, I went, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to be. I want to be writing. I want to be speaking. I want to, I, this is where this next stage of my career is. Mm -hmm. That day, after that first session, and I had that realization, we had these name badges and the name badge had a blank space that said, I never travel without, you know, just a little icebreaker thing. And I wrote Labrador hair because I have two Labradors and there's nothing I can do without <laughs> Labrador hair, right? Jen Love walked past me did a double take, read my name tag and went, that's brilliant. Introduced herself. We had this lovely chat. And then she kept introducing me to other people. You've got to see his name tag. <laughs> Those two moments were two people who I respected and knew and had this sort of awe moment of who, in my mind, went out of their way to be inclusive mm -hmm. and to meet somebody they didn't know and to invite me in. Mm -hmm. And I credit both of them now regularly and thank them regularly because now I have the great privilege of being able to call both of them friends. Mm -hmm. And I thank them regularly because if they had not, then I would probably still be that guy sheepish on the corner going, what do I want to be when I grow up? You know? So you just give us the case studies of how to do that, how to be more inclusive, how to create belonging. And I think we got to be more intentional 
to do that. And hey, that's the reason I'm on Twitter. The reason I'm there is if I just go to conferences and stay within my circles, my network will contract and contract and become homogeneous of thought, practice, geography. And Twitter is the ultimate for me, the, the game changer. And I struggle with other platforms. I think truly your yeah, clubhouse. clubhouse. Yes, it is becoming one of the ones that's helping with with that that equalization of access. But the, sorry, there's still nothing like Twitter that will give you equal access to everybody and make every conversation an open one. I feel scared of Twitter, though. And I think there are I think that we need to name that, that that there are people who are scared to say. Um, because it can turn on you so dang fast. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And I've put over the last couple of years, I've pulled back a bit because there's been a lot of it and can be easily misinterpreted. The flip side of that though, is do you, do you know that um, phone phobia is a legitimate psychological, like there are people that have not, it's not a true phobia, um, but who speaking on the phone causes anxiety. Well, every one of my children, it is a, it is a true, it is a true, um not disease but you know it is a true thing um and i have it i have extreme anxiety on in talking on the phone zoom has been a godsend to me really because i can see you and if i can't see you i am completely convinced that you are rolling your eyes doing something else not engaged making fun of me, whatever but it may that's be. That's that saboteur that we all have in our of head. Of course it is. Right? Well, that's what anxiety is. Well, of course. Right, right, right. Of course it is. So Clubhouse, while I've enjoyed it, Clubhouse is very hard for me because mm-hmm. it's like talking on the phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like Twitter, Twitter is great for me because I can organize my thoughts. Zoom is amazing mm-hmm. because I can actually see you and I can interact, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I'm the type that needs that feedback, which gets to communication and learning styles. Mm-hmm. You know, we can talk on your channel all you want, but the reality is different adults respond to different channels in different ways. For some people, an email is better for some text is for some mail is, mm-hmm. you know, social media platforms, some are better for others. Learning styles are different. We live in a world now where we know this about people and therefore I think are accountable to it. Let's talk about accessibility in, you know, being able to read things. And I'm getting really convicted on, on picture captions and working on alt text and those kinds of things. There were, we are learning and absorbing so much about how to embrace inclusivity in multiple ways that it becomes incumbent upon us you know now we know so now we got to do yeah now we know so now now we've got to do it but and- can can i offer also a bright humor moment in in this no so, no okay give me yes. a second give me one yeah. second Why that? The dog? You're, gonna, you're gonna love this all okay. right i hope he's getting a dog yeah something i wonder what all those pictures are back there i think he takes them i think he takes the pictures do you take those pictures Yes. Ah. How did you know that, Paul? No, I'm not a conference junkie. Oh my gosh! I have. I wrote a post years ago about all my lanyards that I saved. I have. I have them too. They asked, but I don't give them back ever. I have expunged, unfortunately. Every every name tag from every job I've ever worked. Yeah. Every lapel pin from every campaign I've ever run. It's it's a problem. 
from every conference. Yeah, everybody's got their that talisman that leans a lot to them. I think that's a big one from a lot of our careers and community. Mm-hmm. My family knows to cremate me in this thing. <laughs> of course, it's a jacket from 1986. So the likelihood that it, it might even fit would be, yeah. <laughs> you're going to cause a fire hazard. That's for sure. Those pins are all going to blow up. And that's not my problem. Not my problem. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I'll be dead. That's not my concern. But you know what? Let's just also say for listeners, because I found this too, a lot of people who have gigantic brands in fundraising. They, one of the cool things about Twitter too is we found out there were also all a bunch of dorks. Yes, we are. Do this work and survive in the world. Right. Yeah. Like I really wish more people would also see that element. I think a lot of more of us, me, I'm do, trying to do too, is put more of that out there. Yeah. To stop people feeling so intimidated to yeah. reach out and connect yeah. and chat. And it's so bizarre. I thought that your share in that magazine, um, about your armor was very brave, Paul. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Yeah. Again, I did it because our colleagues are trying to create a community to talk about that. So, so that people know that that's a regular experience of folks. But for me, the one that pains me is how many young professionals feel weird about reaching out. Yeah. They'll say, you know, I know you're super busy. You're, and you're like, this is my actual job. Or also, you know, a lot of us fundraisers, especially the strategists, are obsessed with this stuff. Our family and friends don't want to talk to us about it. Again, Mark Pittman and a bunch of these authors, their spouses haven't read their books. We've read them 75 times and we would like to talk about them. And, you know, they, they love that stuff. No, I know. You know. My husband edits this podcast and helps me produce it, but he doesn't listen to it. I'm like, did you listen? Did you yeah. listen to it? We talked about you. No. I love talking to authors and just, you know, sharing with them how obsessed I am about their work. And they're like, my publisher isn't even as obsessed about this. But, but you got to align your passions with your obsessions, too. And for a lot of us, we're just trying to do more good. We talk, are. To me, talk to me about work-life balance for a minute. What, what would you like to know? Because my hobby, in some ways, is this. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm really, really fortunate. You know, people talk about work-life balance. And I'm like, I like, I'm a dork. I will dig into a donor database on the weekend because I get bored and want something to do. And I'm curious. I like reading about fundraising and nonprofit management. I like talking about this. I like going out, well, sometimes for cocktails with fellow nonprofit people and talking shop. Yeah. I mean, and I probably do need a few more <laughs> interests in my life that aren't, you know, to get a little break from it. But I don't know. I draw energy and strength from it. I, I think I don't know if everybody is 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 this way. And I have to be patient my, with myself and talking with some fundraisers because I realize for them it's a job and a vocational career. It's not their life. But I, I just I enjoy the conversation. This is restorative for me. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes me a little weird. <laughs> probably, yeah, Paul, Paul is just as weird as you are. You bet. I read the charity tax forms before bed. I read the income tax <laughs> annually. I read all of our textbooks. You know, our, our gift plan textbook in Canada, 600 pages. I used to read it cover to cover every year. That's what I mean by you got to align your obsessions with, with the work that you do. And again, this for me is a third space. Mm-hmm. There is work and then there's life and family often. But I really believe that we need better third spaces to be cathartic, to be restorative, to be mm-hmm. healing, to help each other. And, I, and I'm actually quite particular about that not being uh, the job, the office, co-workers. Yeah. And that's where I believe we need to cultivate this, this third yeah. space where we can connect and talk shop, 
without the repercussions and the risk of work and bosses and coworkers and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, again, I, that's, I don't believe really in the balance. I just believe in you figuring out what is the right thing at the right time, the right age and stage. Uh, you know, Tim Ferriss talks a lot about this, about spooling up and spooling down by day, by week, by month, by years. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, people plan this. I do an annual strategic planning retreat when I say, what's going to be the kind of cadence of the year? Where am I going to peak up? And it's going to be, you know, not just exhausting. It's going to be burn yourself down and re- rise from the ashes. And then when am I going to deliberately slow it down? People always say, oh, it's so busy. You deliberately got to slow it down. You know who really, really inspires me um, and, and who, who I look at as somebody and, and kind of go, boy, I wish I could do a little. Well, I could. If I, anyway, um, Chad Barger. I have no idea who that is. Oh, you guys need to meet Chad. He is wonderful. Um, long-term fundraiser. He's one. He heavily involved in AF, AFP. He's one of the AF peeps. Um, he has a solo consultancy firm uh, in middle Pennsylvania, I think. Yep. Chad is incredibly intentional on creating space for himself, taking downtime. He hikes, mm-hmm. posts a lot of from his hikes and his walks. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I scheduled a call one time and he said, oh, that's when I usually, no, that's fine. And so we booked it and I called him and there's all this bird song in the background. I said, Chad, what are you doing? He goes, I'm on my daily walk. And I go, well, don't let me bother you while you're on your walk. He goes, no, 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 that's what it's for. Every day at noon, I take a walk and I take calls with people that I want to talk to, but it's, you know, every day kind of my restorative and I rethink through things and sort of reset for the rest of the day. I'm like, man. And he talks about things like taking a personal retreat and taking time to spend time with himself. And, you know, I'm like, man, I just, boy, I applaud people that have that. Um, side note, Chad would be a great, great, great guy to have uh, on your podcast because he talks about things in just a really that is a uh, beautiful and wonderful way. Itself. How do we help each other as peers find a bit more of that balance? Yeah. And again, not find it, but make the space, make the time, because otherwise it's not going to happen. Again, fundraising yeah. is a profession that's it, it'll roll over you all year round if you let it. It will roll over you because of the, the, the politics and the issues that we've discussed. It will also roll over it because as fundraisers, we have a responsibility to carry the stories that we work on behalf of. And those stories are sometimes very, very heavy and very, very hard. And we have to acknowledge the self-care in the space, not just of the high pressures of it, not just of the budgets, not just of the issues in the in, but we are the conduits of these incredible incredibly powerful stories and that takes a toll on us too and we have to admit it because we're forever talking about some issue Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you um you i i think it was after that clubhouse gaffe that we're not going to talk about um clay and i followed up and uh and you were just you I hardly knew you at the time. And you said, Oh, well, as an empath, I can tell that this, 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 and a lot of, a lot of people who do work in this sector are empaths and we do absorb those feelings and we do absorb the feelings behind our organizations and the feelings of what's happening in the world. And and we need to, I mean, this is what I love Claire Warner's work out of the UK Mm -hmm. because she 
she is on a mission to help us all see that in our organizations and with each other, we do need to help each other take care of our own well-being so that we can show up and help the world. And uh, I think we started this by part of that, part of, part of what lifts me up is, and you guys just said it too, is having conversations like this with each other. And it's not really not work, but it's not really work. It's, 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 uh, mm-hmm. I mean, networking with charity folks is something that is just such a big part of who we are. And uh, for me, it's a massive catharsis. Mm-hmm. Massive, because again, so many of us who are chief cook and bottle washers in all sorts of the shops, you know, again, you know, there, there's a season for everything, and there's never really any more a season for rest. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I changed roles a couple of years back and said to a colleague, this is the first time in 17 years I'm not working over the holidays because holidays is the Super Bowl, right? End of the year, year end, and all those kind of gifts and stuff like that. It was the first time I wasn't direct uh, mail fundraising and I had to make my family chain me to a bedpost because I was like a werewolf, you know, a couple hours before the 31st. I'm like, who's managing the final asks? And, you know, and We've got to help each other. And I think that's a place where we could do a lot better to help each other to say, you know, this is, I'm seeing a lot more fundraisers doing accountability, you know, things with each other, mm-hmm. saying, how are you going to help someone again, spool up, but then how does someone hold you accountable to say, and how are you going to rejuvenate? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, what's her Twitter handle? Um and I'm ashamed to admit that I don't know. I don't know anybody's real names anymore. Her real name. I have they know she's in prospect development. Once a day, she'll post. Okay, it's time. Unclench your shoulders. Drink something. Walk away oh. from the screen for a minute. Oh, good for her. It's it and it and it, it freaking every day it gets me. Huh. And just about the time she posts, I'm like, oh, oh, and I have thanked her a couple of times because. Without those tweets, I there are times when I'm like, okay, this okay, is. I need a, I need to follow her, so I need you to take I'm, a second to. I'm looking it up. We got a, a journalist who's in New York who she does daily doom scrolling warnings. She's like, "Have you been doom scrolling on whatever platform uh, for how long?" Stop. I, I have to confess, guys, that this last this third lockdown has knocked me off my feet i've Mm. i have been um handling this pandemic and all of these kids extremely well and i don't think i've left i've left the house once to go to the liquor store in three weeks and i'm not walking right now which and i was in making such progress working out and going to the gym and doing burpees i'm not really scared of burpees anymore but i haven't moved my body in three weeks so the doom scrolling is something that i definitely need help with right now but we're i mean that's i'm just calling on a lot of self-compassion this is this is that adam grant's article in the new york times about languishing is just it was just so timely it was so on point did you read it clay I read it. Did it piss you off? You look angry. No, it didn't piss me off, and I resonated with it. And then there was an article that came out two days later that said, "I'm not languishing. I'm dormant." And I went, well, "That's it. <gasps> That's me right now." Yeah. That just des- it described it. me a little more than than yeah. the languishing. I thought the languishing one was phenomenal and mm-hmm. just you know eye opening in some ways. Which is wow, mm-hmm. right? And then and then this next one came out that I was just. Oh, boy, I'm not that. that I'm languishing is close to rotting. That's the word I'm using because again, well, I'm not moving. 
I'm, see, I'm from the American South, and when you say languish, I, I'm picturing laying on the and screen porch where it's too hot with, wow, okay. you know, I'm languishing, right? So I had real connections to it. Uh, the woman I'm talking about, and I'm sorry, I'm assuming a, a gender identity, I shouldn't, uh, uh, at the info file. Oh, okay. Hmm. I do not follow that person, but I will. Oh. That um, was an awesome bonus episode, guys. Here we go. I forgot we were doing a podcast. Clay will be back next week with a full episode, and uh, we're so grateful for that. Please be sure to subscribe, review, and share. We love your feedback, too, so let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear more of in the Hub. Uh, thank you for making this podcast a priority. We are so glad that you are part of our community.